All right, Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Genesis chapter 3. So the question is, what, what went wrong, right? That's where we left off. If you, if you weren't here yesterday for whatever reason, um, what we talked about was Genesis 1 and 2 and the fact that within the creation narrative, that's the story of creation, right? There is order, there is an in, an intentionality and a purpose in which God operates, and that extends even to the creation of you, right? Well, the creation of all of us as human beings, right? And we ended with asking a question, what went wrong? And in a creation that's, at the end of it, very good, in, in female and male relationships that are manifest through this covenant marriage, they've been given a mandate to be fruitful and multiply, fill, fill the earth, subdue the earth, rule over it. Where does all the confusion enter the picture? Where, where are the lies introduced into this? Specific to men and women, male and female, where does the confusion in the relationships happen? Right, and, and this morning, I wasn't so candid or upfront last night as I'm going to be today, but, but within the created order, where did confusion come in about gender and sexuality? Because the, it's there, right? And if you don't believe me, tomorrow, if I went to work, not, well, maybe not at the church. They probably wouldn't appreciate that. But let's just say I work somewhere else at Best Buy. I did do that for a long time. If I walked in tomorrow and said, from now on, I'm going to identify as potato salad. And I know that's absurd, right? No, as absurd as that is, there are people in the culture and in the world who would willingly embrace me as potato salad. That's, that's crazy, right? How did we get from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 to adults dressing up as cats and drinking out of milk bowls? Like, how did we get there? Something obviously happened. Something clearly changed. So, so what is it? Right? That, that's the looming question. And so we need to deal with that this morning, and we're going to. We're going to deal with that through Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to talk about biblical manhood and womanhood in light of the fall. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll talk about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life. We thank you for the way in which you bring order in creation, the way in which you show us how you have made us, but you also show us where things changed. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would open our hearts, our ears, and our eyes to the truth of your word, that we would see it, be changed by it as we encounter you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read something to you. This, this little book um, is the 1689 Confession, uh, Baptist Confession of Faith. Now, I don't like everything in there, but what I'm about to read I like, so listen to this. This is about creation. After God had made all other creatures, he created humanity. He made them male and female with rational and immortal souls, thereby making them suited to the life 
unto God for which they were created. They were made in His image, being endowed with knowledge and righteousness and true holiness. They had the law of God written in their hearts and the power to fulfill it. Even so, they still could transgress the law because they were left to liberty of their own will, which is subject to change. If you remember last night, we talked about that our bodies are ordered by God. That what we are as men and women is on purpose. Men, of course, one of the purposes of men is fathering children. One of the purposes of women is being a mother, right? Those, and those are just a few of the, one of the things and some of the things we talked about last night too. But what the Bible shows us is that when we look at ourselves, our bodies, who we are, is a testimony to everything that God has said in the last, well, the last two chapters, the first two chapters of the Scripture. And the way that we live for the glory and honor of God in this creation is by pursuing that which is good. And that which is good is relationship. Right, friendship, but also the marriage relationship. That's a way that, and a thing that's been ordered by God. We saw that in verse 24 and 25 of Genesis chapter two. But the lingering problem that we have to deal with is how, just like I said, how do we get to um, potato salad from God's perfect creation? And the answer is one word, it's sin. It's sin. By nature, after Genesis chapter 3, within us is this desire to rebel against God at every level. So if you in yourself struggle with identity issues, with sexuality, the reason you struggle with that is not because God has made a mistake in creating you. The reason you struggle with that is because you possess a sin nature, and that nature rebels against God. It's just the way it happens after the fall. That's one way this works out. There's a whole bunch of other ways. Sex outside of marriage. And, and I know that that's not, again, you can go on TikTok and YouTube and, and see all kind of opinions on it, but frankly, none of those opinions matter. The only thing that matters is God's standard of truth, Right? And God's standard of truth is that the relationships that God has given us that are expressed sexually only happen within the context of covenant marriage. Anything outside of that is sin. Anything. And it doesn't matter the flavor of it. What do I mean? It doesn't matter if it's homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, all those things. It doesn't matter if it's premarital sex. That's just heterosexual sex outside of marriage, right? I told you I have the humor of a 14-year-old boy. So if you smile too much, I'm going to laugh. So don't do it. All right. But, but it's just the way it, the, it's the way God made all of this, right? He has one standard and it's his. And when we deviate from that, when we rebel against that, when we start to redefine marriage according to culture and not the word, then that's the manifestation of the problem that we experience with sin. When we feel like that this covenant of marriage that God has given us can be broken because it's not convenient for us anymore. That's a result of the fall. 
God instituted marriage as a covenant, which means something that's permanent, that's not to be broken. Does it get broken? Yeah, we're going to see that this morning. Another problem with sin is that if we don't start redefining those things, then we start redefining what marriage is to where now there's such a thing as a thruple. I don't even really know what that is, but it's a thing. I saw, I saw a YouTube video that talked about it, so it must be true, right? It's on the internet. But there's this idea that now marriage isn't between one man and one woman. It's between however many people are happy together. That's absurd. To me, that's more absurd than me identifying as potato salad, right? It, it's, it's just bizarre. Why? Because we already know God's standard. We see the truth of how we've been created. It also includes same-sex marriage. All of these are examples of ways that we distort Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But, but why? If God creates something that's very good, why would we want to change that? We'll get there. And I understand that we live in a world where culture changes. I understand we live in a world where definitions change. The, the problem for the culture in the world is that our standard as Christians never changes. God's the same today, yesterday, forever. His word stands. It always will stand. And the way that we live for his glory and his honor in the world hasn't changed either as men and women. But between Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and the rest of the Bible, something changes. But it's not God. It's the entrance of sin in the world. Let's start looking through Genesis chapter 3. Now, just buckle up because we're about to work through all this. You're you fitting to learn something today, all right? So get ready. Genesis chapter 3, listen to this in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the fruit of any, or excuse me, eat of any tree in the garden? Now, I told you buckle up, right? Verse 1, there's a whole lot. The serpent, now we know from further on in the Bible, that's the devil, Satan, was more crafty. That means subtle and cunning than any other beast of the field. Interestingly enough, Satan doesn't bust in as a cartoon character with a forked tail, holding a pitchfork with horns and everything like that. He manifests himself within God's created order, right? Again, just being candid this morning, Satan enters and tries to, to destroy the church, not as transgender story hour, but as an angel of light, right? He manifests himself in a way to disarm us. He does it in Genesis chapter three. He still does it today. And he says to the woman, did, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say? I contend with you this, that that question is the same question that has been asked through all of human history when it comes to sin. The same question that's being asked today is, did God really say? 
that male and female, he created them in his image. Did, did God really say that? Now, the reason I say there's nothing new, or excuse me, that it's not new, is from the Bible, right? Ecclesiastes chapter one. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. So if somebody gets in front of you and says, I got something new to tell you, they're lying. They're repackaging something that's already been thought of. That's why the things that are going on in this world, it may seem new, but it's not new. It's just called something else. It's called something else under the guise of asking the question, did God really say? And what does Satan say? Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So it goes from, again, Satan's clever. He said, man, God created all this beauty. And remember what it says about the trees. They look good. They look good. They're, they're appealing. We saw that in Genesis 2. So Satan says, man, you, you can't eat of any tree in the garden? So it goes from one, you can't eat of one tree, knowledge of good and evil, to, to say, man, you can't eat of any tree. Why does he do that? Same reason he still does it today. It's an attack on God's word, what God has already said. Now, it's not direct, but what Satan is doing, like he does right now, is he shifts the emphasis from freedom to prohibition. So, so instead of you can eat of any tree in the garden except that one, Satan turns the table and says, no, it's not about freedom. God doesn't want you to do something. It's not what you can do. It's what you can't do. And unfortunately, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Why is that different? Because God said you can eat of every tree in the garden except one. So even Eve is sort of minimizing the provision of God, what God has said, even already with just one question. She's already got her, her mind is already starting to wonder. No, no, we can, we, we may eat. And then she says this, but God said, or excuse me, the serpent says, you can eat of, you shall not eat of any tree. Yeah, we can eat of some, Eve says. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. And that should be a period. But she didn't stop there. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, if you know anything about history, humanity, this becomes our go-to. When it comes to what God says, we start building walls to try to protect what God says. Because God says in his word, not if you touch it, you die. He just says the moment that you eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, dying you will die. You, you'll surely die. That's what he says. But Eve, thinking she's trying to outwit Satan, comes back and says, we can't even touch it. She adds something to what God has already said. But the serpent said to her, you will not surely die. Satan 
blatantly contradicts God's word. He's already got the hook in, so he just goes for the jugular. No, you're not going to die. There's no fear in disobedience. That's really what he's saying. You can disobey God because you're not really going to die, right? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. He says, it's not that you're going to die. It's just that you're going to be like God. God's holding something back from you. You're, you're missing something in your life because of God's prohibition in your life. That's what Satan is telling her. It's not just contradicting God's word that Satan's doing. He's also taking a shot at God's goodness. Somehow God is holding back. He's keeping something from them. He's restricting them. But it's not true. But what happens? The same thing that always happens. Sin looks visually appealing. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. She saw that it was that it looked good. Just again, all of this confusion that's happening. And in light of Genesis one and two, what do we know? There, God is not the author of confusion. Everything is ordered. But now confusion enters the picture and she sees the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she says, man, it looks good. It looks good. And it makes one wise. You're telling me that there's a possibility that I can eat of this fruit and know something that I don't know now. You're telling me that if I embrace some worldly ideology, right, about sexuality and gender, I'm going to know something I don't know now? You see how this works. It's clever. She took of its fruit and ate. She gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. They both disobeyed God. Both disobeyed God. The woman was deceived by Satan and her husband, he believed his wife. Listen to what it says. And then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. I told you Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In this case, it's a part of creation. And right here, what we learn is that Satan will use, and all of the false teachers that he uses in this world, they use partial truth. Because guess what? Their eyes were open. But they didn't physically die. In fact, Adam, depending on how old he is here, 
lives 930 years. So, did they die? Yes. Dying, you will die. I remember I told you that yesterday. Because at the moment they ate, they experienced death, spiritual death. But also, in light of that, what's coming is physical death too, as a consequence of sin. But their eyes were open. They did know something, but it wasn't what Satan promised. It wasn't that they were going to get some knowledge that was going to make them better, make them like God. Instead, what they took on is the experience and knowledge of an act of sin. And it says, again, I told you last night in verse 25 of Genesis 2, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. The covenant of marriage and God's original intended plan and his purpose was that we exist in marriage unashamed. But as soon as sin enters the world and their eyes are open and they experience the reality of their own badness in light of God's goodness, they realize they're naked. They feel, who in this room has had a dream that you were in front of your school in your underwear, right? Okay, if you haven't, you will, right? And how embarrassing, you feel shame and guilt. It's just bad, right? You feel awkward. Imagine them in this moment, because they're not in their underwear, for the first time they understand that they're naked. They, they experience shame and guilt and fear that is born out of their disobedience. That's what spiritual death does. It shows us that reality. And they sew fig leaves together and make for themselves loincloths. Look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God, among the trees of the garden. They sow fig leaves together and they hide themselves. Why? Because the knowledge they got is that they're now separated from God. But let me say this. Joe just talked about it. The beauty of Genesis chapter 3 is not about, it's not about sin. It's actually about the grace of God. Because God, God knew. God knew what they had done. And just like every other day, God entered the garden to meet with his creation. Now, yeah, the relationship is broken, but God didn't change. God was there. It was humanity that felt the sting of that separation. And the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now, I don't know if you know this, but God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything. So it's not that, that God's like, huh. It's the, the ultimate game of hide and seek, right? I, I just don't know. No, he knows where they are. What he's doing, though, is when he's saying, where are you? He's drawing something out of them. What is he drawing out? Confession. It says in verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Listen, when God calls you out, at least most of the time, the inclination is just to tell the truth, to own up to the depth and the reality of sin in your life. So it happens here. Listen, man, I, 
I saw you walking in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. Remember, all this is new to him. We have the whole of scripture. We, we understand things a little different now because we have all, all the revelation of God. But this is new to him. He says, God, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was so focused on myself that we made these loincloths, we hid ourselves because I don't know why, but we were naked and I, I felt different. Well, it's because their relationship was broken. Romans chapter three, verse 10. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. In that moment, in Genesis chapter three, they understood the reality of Romans chapter three. Now it wasn't written yet by Paul, but it would be. They understood that everything was broken, that something was wrong, that sin had entered the world and things changed. Their relationships changed, but not like Satan said. Let's know what it says next. He said, who, who told you that we, you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, God already knows. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the epitome of life. If you haven't learned this, you're, you're, you're fisting to learn today. So that way, when you grow up and go out into the world on your own, you'll know why this happens all the time. But in verse 12, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit night. So Adam says, bro, this lady that you created out of my rib that you gave to me, she's the one that told me to eat. She's the one that told me to eat this fruit. So, so I did. I took it. I ate it. Then God turns to the woman. What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. So it starts out looking real good, like, like Adam is just going to confess all this and, and, and it's going to be immediately restored and everything's going to be fine. No problemo, right? That's how it looks. And then all of a sudden, the reality of sin really sinks in and it becomes, oh, not me. I didn't do it. She did it. Oh, I didn't do it. The serpent did it, right? It becomes this gigantic blame game. And, and again, there's nothing new under the sun. This is how sin still works. Trust me, I've had a thousand people sit across the desk from me in my office and blame everybody else for their own sin problem. And then when they're confronted with the reality, they're like, well, that, well, no. No, I'm not wrong. My wife has a bad attitude. It's not me. It's not me. And then what happens? What do we learn? That you can blame whoever you want to blame. But God, in his providence and his sovereignty, divvies out the blame equally because all sin and fall short of the glory of God from this point forward. The man, the woman, Satan, all have sinned. They're all cursed. Why is that important? As delicately as I can say this, in life, you are not always the victim. 
just because you're wrapped up in something real bad doesn't automatically mean that you're wrapped up in that because you're the victim of something else. Sometimes the reason you're in that situation is because you're sinful and made a stupid decision. And God says, one of two times where God himself verbally curses someone. It happens here and then Genesis chapter four with Cain. Says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now what does that even mean? What God is doing is because Satan had this attitude that he knew better, God curses him in humility. If you don't believe me, it's a very humbling, I've never done it, but I imagine it's a humbling experience to be cursed to move about on your belly all the days of your life. In fact, in just a little bit when you play games, you should, you should just try it just to see. Don't really, you'll ruin your clothes and then somebody, you'll probably be mad at me, but it's, it's humility in judgment. And then something else happens that leads me to believe that this text of scripture, although we see sin enter the world, really is about God's grace and it's this in verse 15. In the curse of God, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, people much smarter than me have looked at this and called this the proto-evangelion. Now, that's a 50-cent way of a super smart way so I can show you all the stuff I know of saying first gospel. It's the first picture we get that although Genesis chapter 3, something changes, what we know from Genesis chapter 3 also is something else is going to change. We know it's coming in the form of the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent and the serpent bruising his heel. Ultimately, what we know, at least at some level, is that between God's people and Satan, there's going to be this enmity that exists, and it's going to exist until the moment that Christ comes, which we'll talk about tonight. And the woman said, and to the woman, he said, I'll sure, surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. Now, why is that important? You remember last night I told you what? that God gave us purpose, that he gave us mandates. Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. What we see right here is a part of sin entering the world is now the mandate is joy, but joy with pain, right? You're gonna have multiplied pain in childbearing. But it's not just that. Right, even this idea of being, it's not just the, the 
fruitful and multiply part that gets wrecked in all of this. It's, it's also the ruling over creation, the subduing it. Why? Because he says that your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Remember what he says in Genesis 2? I'm going to make a suitable helper. But now in Genesis chapter 3, what happens is that helper is not, doesn't become suitable. They, there's enmity that exists. And, and we know this. Just look at the world. There is, there is conflict within marriage. Marriages are broken up. That covenant is broken because of convenience now. But not only that, the, the design and creation of, of male headship and, and men leading, even that is going to be broken because there's going to be this clash that's happening. All because sin enters the world. And he said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Again, the mandate, subdue the earth. Now Eve has pain in childbearing, right? That, that be fruitful and multiply now comes with pain. And what he says to Adam is, listen, your work is not going to be like it was anymore. Now, because sin has entered the world and sin affects all of creation, what he's saying is that even the, the ground is going to resist you. Because you've disobeyed a holy, just, and righteous God, creation itself is going to rebel against you because of that sin. And now, you're not just going to go to work and keep the land, keep the garden. Now, by the sweat of your brow, it's going to be hard. There's nothing going to be easy. And it's going to be that way all the days of your life. That's foreshadowing. Because now they are going to experience physical death. He says, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Again, creation itself is going to rebel. Remember, when God creates everything, it's very good. In fact, it's perfect. But now, everything, everything is messed up. Everything. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Dying you will die. Instantaneous, instantaneously in Genesis chapter 3, they experience spiritual death with now the promise of physical death. So Satan was kind of right. He said, what was kind of true. The problem is things that are kind of right and kind of true are all wrong. We need the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And it says the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Imagine that. Death, curses, hardship, the promise of all of those things. And even here, Eve is called the mother of all living. Why? Because there's grace. Because the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Something else is going to change. So we have God's perfect creation. 
We have a change, but there is another change. There's something else coming. And the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Why is that important? God still cares. God doesn't, listen, just because sin enters the world, God doesn't abandon us. God doesn't say, well, too bad, bro. You really blew this thing. And then walk away. No, he's still intimately involved. In fact, God says, look, you broke the covenant that I made with you. But what am I going to do? I'm going to make a new covenant, right? In Genesis chapter three, there's already signs of a new covenant. Why do I say that? Because there's a sacrifice. God doesn't just go skins and then there's skin. No, he kills something to make for them clothes, to clothe their nakedness and their shame. God made a way. You see how all of this is coming together. All of this is painting a picture, a bigger picture of what God is going to do throughout all of redemptive history. Sacrifices an animal to cover all of their shame, their guilt. Something they couldn't do for themselves. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree in life, life and eat forever and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherub, a cherubim, with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. The greatest act of God in, in the creation. The, the greatest display of God's grace and creation is kicking them out of the garden. God says, you're sinful. And I don't want you to live forever in your sin. Even for us right now, God doesn't want us to live forever in our sin. We know that. And tonight we're going to talk about, okay, well, how does redemption happen? How, does, how do things change again? Right? God, God made a way. But the grace of God is displayed throughout all of this. There's order in creation and there's order even in the fall. Why? Because God doesn't change. Now, some things about creation change. Yeah, there's, there's now hardship and turmoil. There's curse and all of those things. But, but nothing about God's standards change. We're, we're still to be fruitful and multiply. We're still to subdue the earth. It's just things look different. We're still to experience that being fruitful and multiply through monogamous marriage, right? Through one man and one woman in a covenant of marriage. That's still God's good design. And any variation from that is not good. It's sinful. In Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. Everything gets twisted. All that which is good and very good is now marred by the reality of sin and, and things are just not right. Marriage becomes unimportant. We'll see that through, well, you'll see that throughout the scripture as you learn and learn and learn. People start redefining things. Even sex becomes something that you just consume, right? It, it's like YouTube. It's just something you do. And we see that in our culture now. 
You do it whenever you feel like, with whoever you feel like. But that's not God's way. God's standard has not changed. God's call to obedience has not changed. What changed? We did. We did. Marred by the reality of sin. Willing and active participants ourselves in that sin. And let me just say this, that the standard for men and women, males and females, hasn't changed either. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It really doesn't. God didn't make a mistake. I want to read something to you from Romans chapter 1 this morning. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Does that sound familiar? If it doesn't, I wouldn't encourage this any other time, but just turn on the TV. You can see this. Because why? Why is this happening? Well, we know Genesis chapter three, but because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their men exchanged natural relations for those contrary to nature. And so do the women. They are consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. The reason the world is the way that it is is because of the reality of sin, because something changed in Genesis chapter 3. But you need to understand this. God did not change. Right now in this room, in 2023, God's standard has not changed. The word has not changed. His promises to you have not changed. What's changed? Again, we have. We experience, we live in the reality of sin. But we can live a life that brings glory and honor to God, even in light of Genesis chapter three and what happens and the reality of sin. We can still bring glory and honor to God. Yeah, things become a little bit more complicated, right? Because we're battling the sin that exists within us. But, but we have to remember that Genesis 1 and 2 is still there. We still know what it means to for creation to be very good and for us to function in that creation very good. We need something else to change. Right now, even, even today, the world is living Genesis, in a post-Genesis chapter 3 world. And something else needs to change. We need the promise of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. Now, it just so happens we got it, and we're going to talk about it tonight. But the question is, when? When does that happen? Now, of course, if you're a good Sunday school person, you'll, you'll say, well, when Jesus came and when Jesus died, and, and yes, it did. But also, it's applied to our lives when we ourselves experience genuine saving faith, all of which we'll work through tonight. 
But when can we be made right? And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to talk a little bit about Ephesians 4 also within that. But we're going to go to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to talk about understanding biblical manhood and womanhood in light of another change called redemption. Being bought with a price. What does it look like right now after Christ has come, willingly offered his life as a sacrifice for us? What does it look like for us to live in light of that every single day? Now, I encourage you tomorrow morning when you're doing your devotion in your book, is to really think about all that we're talking about over the last day and a half because I can't, I don't have the time for us to walk through Romans chapter 12, but I promise you, if you go by the prompts in the book that you have, that what you're gonna see is how you do this. How are, what are the little minute things? What are the, thing, the, the details of how this looks in the world? Look at that in Romans 12 and you'll get an idea of really, okay, how do I live in light of this? How do I live in light of Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis chapter 3, and then the rest of Scripture? Because all of it is important. All of it is God's standard. I hope that, uh, I, I'm going to go to the workshops with you, so I'll, I'll be in there um, just, you know, just to hang out and, and talk. So um, I'll be there with you uh, throughout the day. So if you have any questions, you can always come ask me, um, and I'll uh, give you an answer as best I can. If I, if I don't know an answer, I'll make something up. No, can, I'll, I'll find an answer for you. But I'm going to pray for us. We're going we're gonna to sing a little bit more, and then we'll go about our day. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. We thank you that even in light of Genesis chapter 3 and sin entering the world, that there's still hope, that your grace is still evident there. And I pray, Father, that as we spend time considering the goodness of creation, the fall of creation, the redemption of creation, I pray, Father, that we would remember in light of it all, the one constant the one unchanging is you. It's your word. It's your gospel. And I pray, Father, even now that you would begin shifting our focus and our hearts to what it means for us to practically every day of our lives live for your glory and your honor as the men and the women that you've created us to be. And God, today we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for what you have done and what you are doing. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.